Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. It's Monday, which means another episode of Missing Mondays. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created by Kenzie and I to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to help aid in their return home. 90,000 people in the U.S. are missing at any given time. And while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. On this segment of Missing Mondays, I will be sharing the information about Jennifer Patterson. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. We have Jimmy Henley, who is a private investigator that I worked with for the Jesse Adams episode. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, be sure to do so after this one and make sure you share it as well. Jimmy owns and operates his own private investigation firm called Investigative Solutions out of North Carolina. When I first got in contact with Jimmy and we began discussing me covering some of his cases on the podcast, I told him about how we focus every single Monday to the missing. I told him we try to do our best to help continue sharing the names and the stories of missing victims because it's important for them to be remembered and not forgotten. He mentioned a case of a little girl who went missing in 1991 that he worked on as a young police officer. It is a case that even to this day he holds extremely close to his heart and he wants to see that justice is served and that she is finally found so she can finally be properly laid to rest. The first time I had Jimmy on an episode, we dove right into the case about Jesse Adams, but I wanted him to have the opportunity to tell us a little bit about himself. So let's hear from Jimmy himself as he gives us his background. My name's Jim Henley Jr. I'm a licensed private investigator in North Carolina, second generation police officer, second generation private investigator. Got over 30 years experience in the field, 15 of which was in law enforcement or spent seven years undercover, SWAT, homicide chief of detectives, uh, and assistant chief of police. And then got into the private field of investigations where I specialize in death penalty cases, homicides, high-end felony cases, civil cases, and also still am a law enforcement instructor here in North Carolina teaching law enforcement. Jimmy was being a little bit modest there, and I had heard that he has done some pretty amazing things, so I prodded him to go a little bit further to tell us about himself so we can get a better understanding of all of the accomplishments and amazing things that he has done in his career. I, uh, I'm utilized as an expert in the field of investigations by the state of North Carolina and various private organizations and law firms. I've worked on cases of international notoriety uh, as well as national cases that have been featured on Oprah, Geraldo, Nancy Grace, Time Magazine, 
uh, things along those lines. Um, all of those were for the defense, working on the defense side of things. I don't always work on the defense. Sometimes I help the government in various ways, but mostly I'm hired by folks that are on the side of the defense in a criminal case and civil cases as well. We are so incredibly excited to have Jimmy as a guest on our podcast, and I hope to have him more in the future. So let's get into today's Missing Monday. Jennifer Patterson was just seven years old in 1991 when she was reportedly last seen leaving her family's home at Holly Hills Mobile Home Park in the 1400 block of North Fort Bragg Boulevard in Spring Lake, North Carolina on June 23, 1991. Jennifer allegedly left her home to head to a neighbor's house at around 1.15 p.m., but she never made it there, nor did she ever make it back home. Jimmy was one of the first officers to respond to the call of a missing child. I was a young police officer here in Cumberland County, North Carolina, back in June of 1991. And I remember we had a call for a, a missing little girl there in that town, which is right next to Fort Bragg and was right between Fort Bragg and Pope Air Force Base. And in the beginning, when you get those calls, you never know to what extent you're going to be involved. In, and, you know, is this somebody who just a small child who walked out and parents didn't know she'd walked over next door and there she's at a neighbor's house or, or how extensive this is going to be. And we started realizing pretty early on that this was not your routine missing person case, that, that we definitely had some concern in this case. Detectives began working on it. I was part of the search party. I utilized military Humvees and, and military and civilian helpers to search and canvas some large areas nearby, military property as well as private property and was in and out during the investigation as it went. Later, I, when I moved up in rank, I acquired the case, which I was somewhat excited about because it was a case that always kind of stuck out to me, being a seven-year-old girl. And just to kind of go back a little bit, it was on June 23rd, 1991. Jennifer was living with her mother and father in a trailer off of Bragg Boulevard in Spring Lake, North Carolina and reportedly had left to go to a neighbor's house that day while the mother was at work. The father claimed to have left to work and come home and found that she was missing. The neighbor never saw her arrive. She was reported missing at that point, and that's when the investigation began. Very early on, the father became a suspect in the investigation and was a definite concern by some of the comments he was making and some of his actions, and of course, being the last one known to have seen Jennifer alive. His story that day was he left on a job that he had. It was a sales job, sort of a door-to-door -door sales job, and had been gone uh, numerous hours that day for that job. And there was not a lot of cooperation as to his story that we were able to obtain during the investigation. He was administered numerous polygraphs, lie detector tests, um, did not pass any of them, and started making various comments that would indicate he knew either where she was or what her outcome was. There was one comment made regarding hunting seasons around the corner, she should be found. There was another comment that also made into the media that he knew where she was and she was alive and being taken care of. 
And the importance of that was that there was a custody dispute between the mother and father at the time who were getting a divorce, although still living together. And he was scheduled to get a DNA test, paternity test to see if he in fact was the father. And that never took place because she came up missing right before he was to take that test. So a lot of these things definitely made him a focus of the investigation. And throughout time, he's always remained the number one suspect. Whenever I took over the case, first thing I wanted to do uh, based on the FBI profile is I wanted to establish a point of contact with Mr. Patterson. I knew he was going through a lot in his life medically and I just wanted to be able to reach out to him and start establishing a point of contact for him. And myself and another detective did that. We would find where he was or where he was staying because he seemed to move around a lot. And we would go visit, talk to him, provide him ways of contacting us if he ever needed to reach out or feel like sharing information at any point in his life. We recognized and felt like it was a little more of a game for him when we'd done it, but it, we wanted to maintain that communication with him. At one point, after I had left law enforcement and was in the private sector, there was a feature on the news about the case on one of its anniversaries, and they interviewed me, and that now that I was in the private sector, but was still interested in looking into the case, within a couple of days of that airing, I saw Alan Patterson outside of my office one day looking in the windows. And I walked up, and Alan, of course, being the father, and I walked up, said hi to him. We talked a moment. We went in the office and spent about an hour together, at which time the, the conversation was a bit darker than it had been in the past between the two of us. Um, he started making comments toward me that I perceived as being a bit threatening in that I was still looking into this and wouldn't leave it alone. Um, but again, he seemed to still like to play those games with me too about maybe he does or maybe he doesn't know something about the case. That was our last communication with each other, was that communication. And he and I in the past had had sort of a more friendly conversation to where there was another detective that took the, the darker side to his approach with him sort of the good cop, bad cop aspect of it. And I was supposed to be the good cop, which wasn't always my best role. But at this point, I thought I was doing pretty well. But on that day, he was very upset. And he and I had a pretty dark conversation that was very, very frank, very blunt about where we stand and what we believe and what we think and what we think of each other. And it ended at that point. And that's the last time he and I have talked. Backing up a little bit, I asked Jimmy if when they did the first initial search for Jennifer, if there was any kind of clue to indicate that she really truly did leave her home that afternoon, or if any of her belongings were found along the area in which surrounded her home. No one saw her. Again, she reportedly from Mr. Patterson, she was going to a neighbor's house where one of her friends lived and she was going to swim. They never saw her at all that day. She never made it over, and it was in the same trailer park, which was a very was a very small trailer park. It's now uh, an abandoned trailer park and vacant. There was nothing to indicate um, that she had left on her own in any way. Bragg Boulevard is a very large, busy road. The areas that we searched around there showed no signs of her whatsoever. 
we responded to various leads and tips, um, as I recall, in the hundreds of leads and tips, include psychics and a lot of other types of people who come out, and we followed every one of them, no matter what it was, we would pursue them. Not one thing ever pointed us in the right direction outside of the leads we felt like we were getting from Mr. Patterson. Alan Patterson allegedly left his home that day to do his door-to-door sales job that he had. I asked Jimmy if any of the neighbors could confirm that they saw him coming or going, or if they could confirm with any of the homes that he possibly had stopped at to know for sure if he actually was doing his job. We were not able to corroborate the fact that he left by himself that day. We were not able to corroborate where these locations were that he went for sales. They were they were uh, very vague, detailed locations. But we do know that the routes that he would have took had he went to the places he was describing would have took him through some very open lands on, on Fort Bragg, some areas accessible to the civilian public back then, areas that were considered areas that people would leave stolen property or maybe even leave bodies and and other results of crime out there. That was not unusual in those big wooded areas. So we definitely, you know, put some focus over in those bigger areas like that, just in case she was out there somewhere, hopefully alive. But the one thing he and I've always communicated about is that if he ever gets to a point that he feels like she if he's if he's the one responsible and he feels like she deserves a proper burial a respectful burial that he could reach out to me like me or don't like me he could reach out to me or somebody didn't have to be me and um you know pass on that information because right now there's still no sign of where she's at there was um, various sources of dna collected from Jennifer to be able to be utilized later if there are any remains found. Her mother has moved on, lives out of state, as I know, has remarried and I assume still is, and has kind of moved on with her life, although I'm sure she thinks about Jennifer a lot. Alan's moved on with his life since he has since remarried and then is not now, and I believe is still right here, close by in the area from my information I have on him right now. Jimmy mentions Jennifer's mom, and I asked him how she felt about Alan and whether she thought that he was involved in Jennifer's disappearance. I also asked if she had mentioned at any point in time if he was violent or how he was as a parent. Yeah, I think that went through various phases, um, but there did come a point that she expressed that she had some strong concerns as to his involvement. Well, they were at the time going to begin a custody dispute and they were beginning, you know, the the divorce proceedings. So there's a lot of things said by both sides. I don't remember any specifics listed in any court actions uh, as to specifically what she said, but, you know, looking into Alan's background, there were a lot of concerns for us as investigators as to his background and seeing some activities in his background that would cause concern um, as to him being a violator himself at some point in his adult life. So she was helpful in some of those areas as well to help us with the background stuff. But 
I don't recall specifics of what she said of him as a parent. I do know that she was in a custody battle with him, and so there were definitely allegations. Throughout talking with Jimmy, he mentions a profile that was made up of a potential person of interest. And I asked him about that and if he had the details that he could share with us about the profile and how it fit to Alan Patterson. I will say this. The profile that was provided us did not eliminate him as a suspect at all. And I feel like what was provided to us fit very well into what my experience was with with Alan over the years. It, it, It definitely fit well. And it was a good scouting report, if you will, when talking with Alan and interacting with Alan, having an early understanding of who you may be talking to when you did not yet know them. And it was very helpful into that. And it was very helpful in how to speak to him. The profile, when it talked about the type of person and the types of things that they like to do throughout this process, what would what would intrigue them to continue communications? What would not intrigue them to continue communications with you? I think some of those things were very helpful. They were also not very shocking or surprising in any way either, considering the kind of person he was and the type of case it is. But um, I think for me, the most help I had was meeting and getting to know people in his personal life who early on may have been very supportive of him, but then later would come back and not be as supportive, but would provide some good inside information to us from people within his circle, if you will. And so um, the profile, I think, was definitely helpful in a lot of a lot of the areas. Since this case is nearly 30 years old, I was curious to find out if there's a cold case unit that is working on it or if it's one of those cases that has been set aside until something comes up. Yeah, I met recently um, with, with the chief of detectives at the Springley Police Department that's currently there, and uh, he made a point to show me the file that he still had it set in front and center in his office. From talking to him, there were no leads that were being worked on right now, but they were keeping it front and center. That was probably the number one unsolved case in the history of that department. And so it, it has maintained uh, its status or its priority with that department, but there are just no active leads being pursued right now based on the conversation he and I had just recently. As I mentioned earlier, this case is one that is close to Jimmy's heart. And I asked him if he thought about Jennifer often. I do. I actually do. Um, You know, anytime there's a child involved, it definitely gets uh, where it pulls on your heartstrings a little bit. And and you want to be able to do more to be able to help out in some way or get answers for the family. Um, And again, if there's, if she is deceased, to, to get her a proper and respectful burial. But yeah, definitely when it's a child, it it pulls on you a little bit more and it it stays with you. You I've had plenty of cases with adult victims that bothered me a little bit too and, and got to me a little bit, but nothing like when you have a child. According to the charlieproject.org, Jennifer would be 36 years old today. She was allegedly wearing a one-piece bathing suit with orange, yellow, pink, and turquoise squares and squiggle shapes. She is a white female with sandy brown hair, brown eyes, and Jennifer has a scar on her right temple and between her eyes. 
She has a freckle on the tip of her nose and her nickname is Jenny. If you or anyone you know has information about the disappearance of Jennifer Patterson, you can call the Spring Lakes Police Department at 910-436-0350. Or if you feel more comfortable contacting someone in the private sector, you can contact Jimmy Hanley directly at his private investigation firm called Investigative Solutions. And that telephone number is 844 844- Four seven six four seven six two, or you can email him at jimmy at investigative solutions dot co. If you aren't already, be sure to join our Facebook group called Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, I will have all photos of Jennifer Patterson as well as age progressed photos of what she could potentially look like today. Be sure to also follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics dot podcast. Make sure to also head over to Investigative Solutions on Facebook and give them a like as well so you can stay updated in the things that they are working on. As always, thank you to Jimmy for sitting down and taking the time out of his day to discuss the cases with me. I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with him, and I hope that you guys have enjoyed the opportunity to hear the stories of these cases from a different perspective. Crimeaholics, that's all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care.